Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. helmet came off you guys the helmet came off the helmet came the fuck off and he looked at me with those blue eyes and the helmet came off and i was like guys the helmet came off and like i'm sitting there going the helmet came off the helmet came off and emma kissed kitty and it was the sweetest thing and i do not trust christian frost this is of course we are krakoa i'm nico i'm dylan i'm kyle i'm regina and i'm jonah and we hope you survive the experience hopefully like storm bishop and shinobi we have three major books we're going to cover today we're going to be talking about marvel incoming x-men number four and marauders number five we have a crazy huge docket, but I have to bring up something that has been on my mind since I was scrolling through Marvel Unlimited. I had a whole thing where like, I got locked out of Marvel Unlimited and I had to have it reset, so it made me kind of like, no, I'm going to take full advantage of this. I'm going to scroll through everything. And I stumbled onto Journey into Mystery, The Birth of Krakoa, and I'm like, oh damn! So I click this, I click this nonsense, and it's by Dennis Hopeless from back when he was going by a negative name. And I'm like, I love Dennis Hopeless. Didn't he write one of the X color books? Blue or gold or chartreuse or polka, whatever, Blood whatever. Orange. Blood orange. Periwinkle. <laughs> it was. You know, I went to school with Periwinkle. And Perry did wink. So I <laughs> took a look at this book because it turns out it's about the Howling Commandos at the end of World War II. I love my war comics. All right, I'm in. Howling Commandos me up, man. No. No, this is not Krakoa as I know it. And there's a giant moss monster. And I really recommend everybody check this thing out because it is bizarre. I am kind of confused with how that is Krakoa. <laughs> Perhaps it's some kind of like Krakoan uncanon, uncanon, Krakoan canon, canon. I feel like Krakoan uncanon is like the behind the scenes show that follows House of X and Powers of Ten. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Krakoan uncanon. I'm your host, Jubilee. And I would watch that. (laughs) You wouldn't watch Jubilee be the host? No, she has a kid. You don't want to see her stay up late with little baby Shogo. I think that's really... Okay, Tabby. We're all super huge Tabby stands now. It's with Tabby. The incoming event is finally here. They initially said that it was going to be a murder mystery, and... I don't want to focus too much on all of the ins and outs of Incoming, because if anybody wants, they can definitely read a summary of the issue online. I more want to talk about how this narrative unfolded across the 80 pages of this book. Because, I don't know, between Marvel 1000, 1001, and Incoming, I feel like I read a trade. 
I agree. It was a lot to digest all at once. So I'm sure you've noticed I stand Daredevil and Electra, and I could not have been happier that these were so many of my friends' first Daredevil pages. That moment when the masked raider defeats Electra, and he's facing Daredevil, and he's like, you want to fight me? And Daredevil's like, why? You beat her. You would definitely beat me. And I was just like, this is exactly right. I agree. I went in love with this art style for the Electra Daredevil scene. It was, I don't know, it just does things for me. Absolutely. It was really passionate and powerful. One of the things that people often comment on is that Daredevil is kind of closer to an analogous version of Batman, so it kind of made sense that he would start this detective story. I thought it made even more sense that he kicked it over to Jessica Jones, one of the most recognizable faces in Marvel Comics, thanks to Kristen Ritter's tour de force performance and some of Brian Michael Bendis's most outstanding storytelling. I liked a lot of these interactions. Kyle, had you read much Jess before this? I had never read any thing with Jessica Jones before, so this was this was actually pretty cool. I've seen her pop up in other forms of media, but yeah, this is really my first book version. Getting to see Jessica and Carol have come so far in this next sequence, thank you God. I just loved getting to see Jess and Carol have a strong friendship. I love that too when I was reading their scenes together and just the cleverness that they spoke with each other. It was, it was so beautiful. And I love Jessica Jones. When I first was introduced to her, I was kind of like, okay, wait a minute. I don't know who this person is. But now that I've gotten a chance to read more about her, I freaking love her. You know, having this conversation about what's unfolding before them was just, it was really nice to just see them sitting and talking like old friends instead of some type of female versus female thing again. Which we don't need more of. We need more women supporting each other the way the comics are so eager to show Tony supporting Steve. Just slap a pair of boobs on it! I love how in the past couple of years, it really seems like they're strongly kind of making Carol very much like Steve in the manner of she has these very strong female bonds. Because like Steve, he's friends with Tony, he's friends with Bruce, he has tons of bromances. And Carol has always had her friendships with Spider-Woman and the other Captain Marvels. I love that Carol is very strong, positive voice for female interactions and friendships that, like Regina mentioned, is not the constant Emma versus Jean hate. Carol getting spotlight makes a lot of sense because Marvel is putting a lot of eggs in Carol's basket. And I personally, I want to have every one of them, Easter, Ostrich, and Fabergé, because Carol is... One of the most fantastic characters Marvel has in their stable. Every one of her costumes is instantly recognizable. She had a number of scenes. They gave her just about everyone you could want to see. Jessica Jones from Netflix TV. Black Panther and the Avengers, the most notable people from the films. Oh, and now look, it's the three X's, something they've been trying to push for the last two months. But the best part of the three X's is... Night Thrasher is getting some real do that I feel like he's never gotten. I totally agree. Night Thrasher has been a severely underrated character for, oh my God, forever. I loved him in the original New Warriors run, and I'm just so glad to see him getting play now. And his interaction with Nova during the incoming book was great. I'm so glad you brought up the Nova thing. I know no one here is a huge Nova person, but the level of Nova back story that was revealed here about all the Cancerverse stuff, those were major reveals for a lot of fans. And they treated it like it was nothing on a page. And just to kind of see them talking 
And then to see that he is interacting with these two other characters, I'm just so hopeful that he becomes a more major player than he has been traditionally. Night Thresher has been missing for quite some time. There has been times here or there that they've tried to bring him back. I think this newer look that he has is actually a few years ago and it didn't take. But I love the fact that he and Nova are both in this. And I feel like in talking about Marvel 1000, we need to pay attention that Nova and Night Thrasher are in this incoming book and that during Marvel 1000, they mentioned Speedball and Namorita a few times. I feel like there might be a new warriors reawakening around the corner that would be kyle's first and jonah as far as i know you're going into the new warriors with absolutely no sense of who they are no sense (laughs) (laughs) no sense but from a team that was long forgotten to a team that i hope sticks around for as long as possible the reimagined members of atlas I love this. I love Jimmy Woo. I love Silk. I love Amadeus Cho. Give me a super hot Asian super team any day. A lot of times when they have big events like this, it is a good starting point for newer comic readers. And the fact that in this book, they include those characters that you just mentioned and the two newest members to the Marvel Universe being Arrow and Wave. I'm just really glad that they introduced them because newer comic readers might see that as an opportunity to go and read those books that have those newer characters in it so they can have a sense of, hey, I started reading this character when they started. We actually have some really, really amazing discussions coming up in the next year. I only wish we could get to them faster, but it won't be until the two-part premiere of our new season of 80s Mutant Mania, uh, especially luck at God Loves Man Kills that features some stories where everybody shared different... Wow, this is just like hard to put together. I don't want to make it sound like people called Jonah ethnic. Um, they did. They did, right? So, And Regina, you shared some really powerful stuff that's going to come out in your Moonstar profile. And I feel like we're standing at the beginning of a better, stronger Marvel Universe where there's an entirely Asian superhero team. And I want that in my Marvel Universe. That makes me feel like when people pick up the books, they can see themselves and they can feel safe. I want these books to make everyone feel safe. And Dylan, you're absolutely right. Using this platform, this soapbox, where you can get everybody's attention. Yeah, because this is your chance. Sell that book. Make the thing that's incoming a new era for Marvel, not just sales. Now, as much as it's fun to show new characters, it would be ridiculous if Marvel didn't take a chance to show its big staples. The Young Avengers, despite having not had any kind of ongoing major title in a while, here they got some great spotlight. If anybody checked out Death's Head, I can't push this book on people enough. Death's Head is one of my favorite things out of Marvel UK. The miniseries was fun and... A bunch of Young Avengers were in it, and, you know, they're such big names, and I think this is the age of the Hulk right now with the Immortal Hulk. That's one of the biggest books Marvel has. Marvel is really pushing this iteration of Ghost Rider in a big way. Venom has never been more popular than right now. Miles and Peter. This next bunch of pages really represents kind of like the Marvel media schedule. My problem with these pages, not that I didn't find scenes exciting, not that I'm not excited for what's incoming. Oh, wait, I see what you did there. You said the name of the book as the thing to make a joke about the name of the book being the thing. (laughs) No, it's not what I was doing. Oh. I can't. No, it wasn't. (laughs) My only problem is those certain scenes, Peter and Miles, Eddie Brock, or Ghost Rider, felt so disconnected from everything else. 
Like, this whole main narrative of the masked raider and this locked room murder mystery that's going on, those scenes felt so out of place because they didn't feel like they had to do with anything. They were just like, this is what's kind of happening. Which I don't think is necessarily bad. I just wish there was some way to incorporate that in this main overall narrative. Because this is a long-ass book. I felt like those even could have been similar to how 1001 was the pages that didn't make the cut for 1000. This could have been incoming part two and it's just other things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And that is my big problem with this book. There's big chunks of the story that just don't fit in with the narrative. Then there's huge sections that I feel like are bonking me on the head. The Hulkling and Wiccan section? Bonk! Gay love, bonk! Gay love, bonk! Oh, also, Hulkling has responsibilities. Bonk! Gay love, bonk! Oh my god. I love gay love. I'm gay married. We're on the show with my gay boyfriend. Say hi, gay boyfriend. Hi, gay boyfriend. (laughs) Hi, gay boyfriend. So I love gay love. And my two best friends, my two gay best friends are right here. And Regina, I'm gay for you in our own way. And so like, I believe in us. But this Hulkling and Wiccan scene was just like, oh my god. It was like, in some ways, it felt a little bit like that Macklemore song, I'm Not Gay, where he kept insisting how not gay he is while telling us how if he was gay, it wouldn't upset him. But he's not! Right? That's kind of how I felt about these pages. It goes kind of with what Jonah and Kyle were saying a little bit. just seemed like it didn't fit. If there's any type of way to try to spin it, again, like I was saying, they might have been throwing in Wiccan and Hulkling as the number one gay duo of Marvel comics. And so if anyone is picking up this book as their first Marvel book, and if they're gay and they're looking for gay characters, they will be able to see, hey, there's Wiccan and Hulkling. I'm trying to spin it to make sense of why this part even existed. I did just read the Death's Head mini. That had characterization for these two. It wasn't just, let's cuddle. And I get it. This is why Ricky and my so-called life was homeless that episode. You know what I mean? It was for this that our gay forefathers did poppers and coke in the bathroom at Studio 54 off of Liza Minnelli's boobs. This is what we fought for gay marriage for. No, 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 no. Hold on. Wait. Get it right. It was Tina, not cocaine. For a second, I was like, no, Tina Turner. I don't. Oh, the drug. Got it. So I'm as gay as the next gay. Those pages were not my favorite pages. Speaking of my favorite pages, oh my God, the sinister pages. We're like worth the price of the book. I love these pages more than I loved most of my family. I love these pages like cheesecake. It was just everything I could want, and it was sinister. And friend of Pod Build-A-Bear, I don't know where my sinister Build-A-Bear with the creepy fucking teeth is yet, but until I get that Build-A-Bear, I'm gonna keep bringing them up. <laughs> One of my favorite X-Men characters, who's not even really a mutant, Longshot, got to be in one panel. And yes, Jonah, that's Dazzler's boyfriend. Dazzler's boyfriend. (laughs) And that was in the flashback part with Sinister. I did just want to point out, since we're talking about Sinister, there was another panel where Sinister is in a room full of eggs, and every single egg in that room is a Sinister body. So that's interesting that Sinister has a room full of himself. 
Wow. He is collecting all of the Omegas, and the only one that he's missing is Franklin. Yeah. And I watched Jonan. He builds his Pokedex so fast. I'm like freaked out how fast this kid can beat a Pokemon game. It's it just like, and his time is so low, and my time is so high, and I just can't even. Anyway, I feel like Mr. Sinister really loved Pokemon <laughs> Go a little too much. And we wound up with this shit. <laughs> this shit, which is this. I will say this. It's pretty on brand for the creepy vampire man to want the DNA of a young child. Oh. It's about his oh my seed. God. No, that's, that's, that's Daddy A. From Mr. Sinister to Mr. Fantastic... This book gets real, real plot heavy again very suddenly. Like they remembered what it was. It was a little jarring. Like it just, it just like went from bam to what the hell. It was like me telling a story or something, and all of a sudden Kevin came in the picture and was like, "You're off topic." Oh yeah, there's a murder mystery. Trees. I did think a lot of the layers of this were interesting. A tree bursts out of a scroll. That was a choice. And I really liked a lot of what happened that set the tone for what was coming. Jonah, you're the king of slice of life on the show. You are the guy who stands an intimate story that expresses characterization from an honest perspective. All of those little asides, if they had been presented in a way that highlighted their value, I feel like they would have been some of your favorite pages you've read on this show. You hit the nail on the head when it comes to my feelings about those. The Mr. Sinister scene is the least offender when it comes to breaking up a story because it at least segued into Fantastic Four slash Reed's household. I just learned from this issue that they also have a daughter who's a tech genius, so that's something. Valeria, and she is the creepiest little girl in the world, and I love her. She's like the Fantastic Four magic. It feels like they had to shoehorn them in somewhere, but that severe break in story it's kind of like, well, how am I supposed to be invested in this if you're not even focusing on it and you're giving me scenes that have nothing to do with this at all and these characters that aren't anywhere near what's going on? Because I'm still confused by this mystery and how exactly everything was going about, I really don't understand why those scenes were included and why it couldn't have just been an extra book. I had a couple of what the fuck moments, one of them being Namor's goons, the second being this page. If you're talking about the last page, I completely agree with you. I just can't figure out where this page is supposed to go it's just a really what the fuck moment because if this is supposed to be like a positive authoritarian infiltration regime yeah that always goes well yeah earthlings never respond poorly to invading alien armies i am only hoping that this has some sort of like Hulkling is, like you said, maybe trying to make a peaceful way of bringing his people to Earth, or hopefully he has some sort of plan that he himself is not evil, because, like, that was a real shift from his cuddling 20 pages ago to now wanting to go destroy Earth with all of his species. Kyle, we were kind of making fun of the schmoopy gay schmoop. Yes. But I, what the fuck? How is this at all consistent with that? I mean, I guess you could say that some of the 
things that Teddy was saying as him not wanting Billy to know what was going to happen. But yeah, this this really does feel very thrown out of out from nowhere. I mean, has there been anything that's kind of given us any hints until this page? Because this page was a complete shock to me. And I thought, did I miss something? You know, I just read the thing they were in directly before this in Death's Head. And not even the slightest hint. There was no hint whatsoever. Jonah, we've been talking about what a great introduction this is for characters. Dylan rightfully pointed out that this is a great opportunity to introduce a lot of people quickly. You know, Kyle's been reading the Marvel Universe for five years, and he's never had an opportunity to read Jess Jones before. You know, for all that we're saying about the value of jumping in on this, are you walking away with any positive idea of Billy or Teddy? No! I... (laughs) Okay. Not that I don't appreciate representation, because representation is important. It felt a little... Look at these gay characters we have. Look at them. They're going to kiss and they're going to cuddle for an hour. They don't have much time together. Look at them. They're star-crossed. Look at them! (laughs) And it's kind of like, relax. Stop trying to shove it down my throat like that without asking. I'm... So I'm already coming off with not the best kind of foot, and then this is what Hulkling does, who I'm already, that he's both Kree and Scroll royalty, and he has the best of both worlds for both of them. It's kind of a little much, and this idea that he's leading a revolution for the outcasts, I don't know. I'm not really into it. I don't... I, I don't know. I don't think there needs to be multiple wars going on right now, especially with them. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Namor. It's just, there's too much going on. I don't know if this is the time or place for the story. And I believe we have an incredible four months before Empire kicks off in April. Additionally, Marvel 1000 and 1001 told us that in 2020, the face under the Eternity Mask, the Masked Raider's current identity, is going to be revealed, as well as Korvac coming online, and there's still that matter of the dangling Tony Stark-Emma Frost wedding, when I'm so excited to see how we're going to move forward into the Age of Empire. Things are changing every day in the Marvel Universe, and in order to try and keep up with the demands of a news cycle that requires that media evolve on a regular basis, I, for one, am hoping that Marvel can keep up with the speed that they need to move at. Really hope that they can pull this off? (laughs) Makes two of us, brother. Marvel has had, in the past couple of years, a couple of really hyped-up crossovers that kind of went nowhere, so I agree. I hope this goes someplace. Well, they also had War of the Realms, which was actually pretty good, so... Yeah, the reviews on it were pretty strong, as well as the sales. So hopefully it'll be more along the lines of War of the Realms instead of one of the other crossovers. From the Marvel Universe changing on a galactic scale to the intricacies of international politics taking another sharp turn in the face of Krakoan advancement. I loved this issue of X-Men. John Hickman's X-Men has been a really strange journey in terms of trying to follow the character narrative. My first complaint is that there are not enough women in this issue. The perspective being Cyclops, Magneto, Xavier, Apocalypse, and Gorgon is fascinating and each one of those fuckers is weirder than the next. 
but I have some legitimate concerns with an issue that displays no women on the cover and no women on the interior cast page. The issue boils down to the X-Men making it very clear that they didn't forget that there was a political story in this book. It's filled with the same kinds of the X-Men are told no one's coming after them, but LOL, someone is. Because that's what being an X-Man is. It's being ready to always be betrayed by world governments. Sure. But the most fascinating part here was as I shrieked in the beginning, Xavier took the fucking helmet off. Xavier, Xavier took the fucking, did everybody, did it? Xavier took the helmet off and he was not Moira under there. Xavier took the helmet off. <laughs> that was a moment that I've been waiting for since Hoxpox. So this really made me happy. It's a really important moment because I'm sure the rest of the world was wanting to see Xavier without that mask on too, since it's been a very long time. I'm sure it was written specifically for a good moment like this for Xavier to take his helmet off and show off those amazingly beautiful baby blue eyes. And I, I don't think I've ever been attracted to Xavier before, but I might have been in this panel. I had the exact same feeling reading these old comics where Xavier is this buff god of a man for no reason. <laughs> He's so good at wheelchair basketball. And the thing about Xavier's beautiful blue eyes that got me was normally I'm like, no, put a mask on it. It'll help. But here I was like, okay, sex with the lights on, no helmets. I was really into it. Now, Regina, you were not part of our endless guessing game of what the fuck is wrong with his face under the helmet? Right? You came in after the skin crawling, wondering if it was just like a giant pustule or something. So what had your thoughts been on the fact that Xavier kept his face firmly ensconced? I was actually really confused by the whole mask thing. Like, what's going on with this helmet? Why isn't he taking it off? I still think that there's many, many unanswered questions about that. This went a long way to assuaging my doubt that it wasn't Xavier under there. However, there is a thing called an image inducer that has been utilized a number of times in the comic book world. So I'm not 100%, but I'm feeling much more settled that this actually is Xavier. I think the art presenting it was very beautiful. It kind of reminded me of some throwback art from the 90s when him and Jubilee were having a conversation in his study. The way that he was presented was so beautiful and it's kind of interesting to see, you know, when we first see House of X coming out and Krakoa and everything, Thing. Xavier is presented in kind of this dainty manner, very feminine for whatever the artist's reason were. And here he's presented much more in his full masculine power, shall we say. <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting contrast when we first see him with Krakoa, with the helmet on, with his black leotard. He looks almost like he's dancing. And then here he's sitting in a very strong manner. He takes the helmet off. He's presented in a very masculine way. I think that's a very interesting contrast. I desperately need a print of Magneto lifting Xavier Dirty Dancing style now because no one puts Mutie in a corner. I was thinking like Mutants of Swan Lake. Ooh. <laughs> Can my more experienced comic veterans explain to me if Gorgon is this edgy all the time? I apologize. It was so cringy to hear him say like, I studied the blade while you were like crying, jacking off or something. Can I be honest with you? I'm so disappointed how toned down Gorgon is. Oh, that was toned down because I am very disappointed by how toned down this Gorgon is. Wow. It was really uncomfortable because that was, I was just like, oh. So Gorgon's best known from Mark Millar 
stars Wolverine, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Wolverine, enemy of the state. And he's also known from Jonathan Hickman's incredible Secret Warriors, Agents of Nothing, which is just the book that helped me see that John Hickman is as great as we want him to be. And I love Gorgon because he's so cringe edgelord. He really, I mean, like, don't fuck with cats was made about him. I really love Gorgon. (laughs) He's so stupid. Now, Kyle, Apocalypse had you very nervous early on, and you're not not nervous now, but I feel like seeing him monthly has become okay, right? Seeing Apocalypse in this very political role, representing the best interest of mutant kind, had to be a bit of a... I was definitely surprised to see him joining Magneto and Charles on this trip and honestly i kind of after seeing it i like seeing him in that position of authority among the other world leaders not just as this mutant wizard guy and considering that he took credit for the falls of societies, it makes sense that he would be on this world stage. But Apocalypse isn't the only villain getting redeemed. They state that Gorgon will be journeying with, I guess, Krakoan dignitaries like Xavier going forward. Dylan, I can't even imagine a world in which the X-Men trust Gorgon with their most prized members. It is a little different, but I mean, like we just talked about, we are talking about a new age of mutant society where Apocalypse is someone that we need to get behind and be okay with him making some of the decisions for their entire race. Gorgon, to me, is kind of, not to discredit Sabretooth in any, in any way, but Gorgon to me is kind of like the ultimate villain version of Wolverine. He's that precise, but not always the smartest when it comes to his tact. So yeah, he's very much like Wolverine. It is also nice that with the new Dawn of X titles that we really are embracing more villains turning a new leaf and actually wanting to help mutant society move on. So I'm glad that we get to see characters like Gorgon because like I seem to always mention in lots of episodes, I love C-list characters. I don't really care for Gorgon that much, but I do enjoy the fact that we have a villain that like no one even knows who he is playing a very major role of protecting the three most probably important members of the quiet council, which also kind of bothers me. Why are we sending all three of them? someplace like at least one of them should stay on Krakoa now so Jonah you came to this whole thing like this Magneto is not the Magneto I'm reading in the old books I kind of like Daddy M and I feel like this was the first time Magneto was willing to share this nearly mythical position spotlight he's held in the X-Men's new world how did it feel seeing the guy you've been supporting since the first issue of this relaunch get his due and still know how to play like a teammate I think this has been Magneto's potential all along. He's just never been given the tools to be able to showcase his ability to be like this. Reading him in the old comics, him and Charles have opposing ideologies and views, and they were never going to get along. There was no way to have Magneto and Charles at that point in comic time be on the same team because they fundamentally believed in two different things. Now they both realize that the future doesn't look so good for mutants, and they have to put 
their differences aside and compromise on the solution that, that works for both of them. Here, I think having Magneto be able to, I almost want to say go unhinged, where he doesn't really have to hold back. He can still be himself. He's just playing by very specific rules, some that he generated and some that he will ignore. It's just really nice to be able to see a character who, in a different universe, would have been the hero to Charles's villain, but he's able to be shown as a light in the hero in our universe, and I really do appreciate that. What's going on with this dinner menu? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a very specific inclusion. Jonathan Hickman loves the idea of surrendering to fantasy in this deluxe way and it's so important that he establish a sense of linear atmosphere and he wants you to buy into this magic you know the easiest way to make something sound like a christmas song is to jingle some bells in it right there's ways to conjure specific imagery and one of the most important things for jonathan hickman is always confusing you with how he does it i've never seen john hickman included dinner menu before good job buddy <laughs> can we talk about the actual items for a minute none of that sounded appetizing to no me. i actually Gross. thought to myself this was not a meal that chef robert irvine would make for these dignitaries magneto seems to enjoy it so i think we should all give the menu some credit so Marauders is about the Hellfire Club trading company who deals in some illicit and non-illicit things. I want to get your guys' reaction to this. Christian Frost is a character that has seen very little comic pages, his first appearance being only in a flashback in which someone tried to torture Emma with. How do you guys feel about his relationship with Bobby basically coming to light? Because it's basically implied that they are, you know, bumping uglies and I'm here for it, but I don't know if I need two white cis gay men who look almost identical well you know what that is pretty representative of gay culture <laughs> anyway this is a chilly white power couple oh. it's Iceman and frost and everything about their love is burr <laughs> <laughs> poor kyle spends every minute of the day listening to me talk that i'm not already talking to kevo or jonah and sometimes it's in a group chat so poor kyle has listened to me evolve my feelings on this sequence for days and here's how i feel about it i took a long time to come around on Iceman's homosexuality but now i'm there and i'm all about it but if you're going to trot this idea out as respectable forms of representation, then I'm going to kind of call a shenanigan moment and I'm going to say his gayness needs to be protected and his heart needs to be protected. If you're going to say this character represents all the goodwill we wish for the gay community, he's already experienced enough heartbreak, he's already gone through enough pain, I am at best apprehensive and at worst moody with anxiety over the idea of Iceman and Christian Frost playing Frozen 2 together. It was at that moment Jonah shot Nico a devastating look. Seconds later, life would continue like nothing had ever happened, but Nico would remember that withering stare for life. I would completely agree with, I want to point out that they are trying to make Iceman be a very well representative of, I guess, LGBT in the X-Men since he is a main X-Man character. It was very original for them to make the ambassador for all things queer a white cis gay man. <laughs> yeah. 
You mean an icy queen? I just don't care for the fact that, yes, I know it could happen with gay men. It can happen with everyone. But I do dislike the fact that it seems like every three months, Iceman has a new boyfriend. I 100% agree with that. I would love to see him have a more stable relationship and... Honestly, not with Christian Frost. I don't feel he's a very stable person. I was apprehensive just reading the first few pages because I love Iceman. I have enjoyed what I've read of Christian, but I I am worried for Bobby's heart and where this is going and what the possibilities are considering Christian's ambiguity. And I think that a lot of what we're saying is coming from a place of love and protection in that we want what's best for Bobby. We want this character to be able to be loved and have love and be able to show his sexuality without having to hide it. And it's really important that it's done well. Yes, there's no problem with Iceman having a fling with Christian Frost, but I think it comes off a certain way if Bobby's relationships have been scattered and he's had numerous partners. It paints a certain picture that we don't want. And if you're going to have Bobby be right now the only gay representation we have in the X-Men, you have to do it well. Hashtag bring back Opal Tanaka. Uh, or his 700 other girlfriends i genuinely loved opal tanaka i thought she was an amazing character and that's some of my like favorite jim lee wills portachio stuff i agree i mostly liked her except for the point where she tried to convince bobby that her kid was his yeah, men are bad at writing women as people. But you know what's not a bad moment between women written by a man? Emma and Kitty. Now, I can go on and on and on about my love for Kate Pride, Emma Frost, and the relationship I know that they are going to develop. But the moment between them actually had me in tears, and I thought it was so special in that this is the best way that Emma can support another woman, and I thought it was just like, just so perfect. I fear dying too. I always think about what nose will I come back with? How can you not stand her? Between this moment, I would especially love to know, Regina, your opinions on it. Since we know you love to love to hate to love to hate to love Emma. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So when I started reading this, I don't think it could have been presented better. I loved the presentation. Considering everything that Kitty and Emma have had going on with their history, Kitty has been very angry with Emma and has openly disliked her and challenged her. And Emma expected that and she knew and she told her that. She said, you know, hey, I'm expecting you to keep me in line. And just to see how far their relationship has come to the point where Kitty wonders, you know, what would it have been like if I had chosen you over Xavier? And their hug and that beautiful little sweet kiss between them, it was just... It was really beautiful. I really loved the panels. I loved their conversation together. Just to see how much they have grown to to respect and to care for each other. As it was just beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing technical difficulties. There is an unreasonable amount of ugly crying going on right now. The show will resume in a moment. <laughs> one thing I really do love about this scene, and especially because it's Emma, the one giving Kitty support, is that when you have a fear and you are afraid of something, knowing that you have someone you can trust who has that exact same fear and shares that with you and knows how to comfort you, I think was really important. I really think someone needed to tell Kate, hey, it's scary to die and we don't know if it'll work for you. And I know that it really sucks seeing your friends and your family not really have to worry about it, but I'm here for you. 
you. I believe having that moment for Kate was really special and it's something that she needed to hear. Speaking of moments that people needed, I really enjoyed the fact that we got to have Storm and Bishop team up for a short time. Both of them are characters who were always amazingly written when they have dialogue with each other, stemming back from when they were first teamed up in X-Men Gold in the 90s, and then in the 2000s when they were both a part of Extreme X-Men. I'm just really happy to see those two have panels again with each other. Speaking of the two of them having panels with each other again, I do want to thank Marvel and or the colorist Frederico Blee for fixing the problems that we had with Storm's skin tone in the first two issues of Marauders because she now does represent the way that she should and so does Bishop. Thank you for saying that. Thank you, friends <laughs> of the Pod Marvel. Speaking of Storm, in one little moment, Nico, I'd love to hear your opinion on reading it. Storm stabs an enemy with a knife made out of vibranium. And it made me just think back on the relationship between Storm and T'Challa. I have not gotten that far in my current read, but I do know about it. But I've heard Nico wax poetically and lovingly about their relationship and their even continued relationship even through their divorce and i wanted to just know if that was a small special moment for you it was a smart moment it's just special to see that marriage and that love transcend everything they've been through it made me so happy storm and t'challa ultimately in a lot of ways belong together so i would love to see a lot more references like that speaking of storm and that vibranium blade it is hilarious that scene with storm and Bishop and the men attacking them when the men use the power dampening weapons on them. Like, Storm and Bishop are two X-Men that don't need their powers to fuck up your day. So that part was pretty amazing. <laughs> that really was. Of all the X-Men, yeah, that was ridiculous. I literally screamed. I was like, yeah! <laughs> we get a little more information into who the villains are. Hominus Verandi, which, if you don't know Latin, which I don't, translates to the feared people. And I will say this, based on appearances, there's nothing scary about any of them. And also by their names, Wilhelmina? What an ugly-ass <laughs> name! <laughs> no offense to any friends of the pod named Wilhelmina. <laughs> Full offense to your mothers. But I think the thing about this issue that I loved the most was, guys, it ended on the fucking executioner. Now, I had a bit of trouble trying to find out who the executioner was. If I researched correctly, he's an Asgardian. Oh, no, no, no. That's the best part about this. This is a dumb, shitty human who stole some technology from some former X-Men villains and would poke at them in annuals. <laughs> what? Is that why he has the most boring generic name? Like the and it's ex an X. That's why I couldn't get it, because I spelled executioner like how a human would. <laughs> it's executioner. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> He's ex-executioner. No. And he just like, I got this sword from this guy. Stab, stab. And like, he just churns up. Churns up, guys. He churns up. <laughs> just <Yeah>. throwing butter. <laughs> I have not thought of hate monger yeah, in a while. It's basically just two human villains that superheroes have had in marvel wonderful but guys 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 the executioner is as effective at stopping a tank as a flat tire <laughs> this guy 
is the dumbest jack shit remnant idea. And like, honestly, he was either Fabian Nicieza's or Scott Lobdell's. And the idea of a human gathering the weapons of former X-Men villains to take them on. I actually think that is really cool. It's just that his design looks like a discarded bandage. And that makes him not very scary. (laughs) Yeah, I will give you that. Wow. I, I, I really don't have anything more than that. Wow. When Hominus Ferrandi is full of humans themselves and they seem to be wanting, you know, a genetic superiority of only humans as opposed to homo superiors. But there aren't that many, to my knowledge, impressive X-Men villains that are human that don't require some elaborate setup. Cough, cough, arcade. Do you think there were better options they could have hired? These two villains seem run-of-the-mill, and that's definitely not what the tone of these books are, are run-of-the-mill villains. You don't get better than the X-Cutioner. <laughs> and that flaming clansman behind... I just can't. No, they're really stupid. These are like the dumbest villains. I'm so excited. I will say, when it comes to nowadays with the X-Men books, they do have to reach out and make sure that they are only getting villains that are not mutants, because Dawn of X means we have all of the X-Men's mutant villains on Krakoa. So they are having to dig pretty deep for some villains for the books. Well, we do have hints that Sebastian Shaw is trying to set up Emma and Kate. True. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm sure we all realize that Sebastian isn't being as good as he should. I just wanted to ask or point out how many people actually like use the little cheat sheets of the Krakoan language to find out what people are saying or what doors are being said. I know Regina and I had this conversation in our X-Men group on Facebook called House of X about what Kitty and Emma were saying to each other. But in the book, we did see that Sebastian went through a Krakoan portal. The word above it in Krakoan was actually Madripoor. So he's going to the exact place that the rest of the Marauders are at, basically pointing out that he's kind of behind everything awful that's going on there. I actually do have a document where I translate everything like I used to do for dupe. So yeah, I do this all the time. There haven't been any errors yet. Good job! I keep meaning to translate them, but I never have the alphabet handy when I'm reading, so I always forget. I have Nico to do it for me. That you do. And I think it's really phenomenal that we're talking about all the ways that the villains of the X books are kind of shifting around. I want to give everybody a heads up. We're going to be adding the pages of Savage Avengers to our readership because, well, there's a mutant and get out of my way. There's Electra. So <laughs> gimme, 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 just gimme, just gimme the damn book. Also cool on Gath who is from one of the greatest two-parters in the history of X-Men, the Kulan Gath Master Spell. And so we're going to be covering that going forward. Very excited about it. That's a villain that has not plagued the X-Men, now in part due to rights ownership issues, since the 1980s. He's just a sorcerer. He's just somebody who fights the X-Men. So yeah, I really can see it. They are starting to pull from all sorts of places, but they're managing to keep it really an X-Men thing. If there's a mutant that's going to turn on all mutants, sure, it's going to be Sebastian Shaw. I really buy that. I'm just, uh, I guess I'm just wondering when we're going to see my precious Cassandra.
from very tense dinner parties to sexually tense boat rides, we've covered some well-written stories today. Kyle, what will we be covering next? Uh, next week's We Are Krakoa. We will be covering Excalibur number five, New Mutants number five, and X-Force number five. Kyle, where can everybody find you? Sure, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, where next week you'll be able to see me being a tourist and running excessive distances around the Walt Disney World area. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G, or you can find me on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG. And Jonah, where can we find you? You can find me looking through binoculars at the petty drama that I created because I'm a knockoff. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Jonah. Nope. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah because I changed my internet handles. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me making sure I get the right nose when I come back here on Exes for podcast or all over this amazing network on shows like html where we are currently covering the star wars universe along with my husband kevo and amazing guests like jonah and dylan on the prequels later on we're gonna have some new faces to the network as well as some handsome guys that might also be on this show right now so keep an ear out because if you like this show you're gonna really love the guests we have coming out for star wars also, don't forget to check throughout the archives on this network, whether it's the amazing contributions of Joey or any of the shows they let me run around. So you guys can also find me on my amazing webcomic, Kid Riot Comics, over at KidRiotComics.com. And you can find me at WeAreKrakoa.com, our internet portal, where we like to update with solicits, news, and other amazing X information from all over the web. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we return to the pages of X-Men and the glory of Krakoa, We'll see ya. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.